Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Right Club podcast. I'm Laurel Simmons, a co-founder of the Right Club, and my co-host today is Catherine Nelson-Riley. So, Catherine, today's guest is Glenn Sutherland, who is a Canadian investing in the U.S., and that's what we talk about, isn't it? How and why and what to look out for. Absolutely. Glenn is such an awesome guest to be able to have on because the information that he's sharing, he's actually giving us the reality of how and behind investing in the U.S., the pros and the cons and the tips and what he's discovered along the way. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of shown through everything he said. And But at the end, even we he reiterated, it's just like, just get started. Just do it. Like, just get your feet wet somehow or other. If you haven't done anything yet, just do it. And he does talk a little bit about how to do that. So shall we go to the interview? Absolutely. Welcome to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life. Hey, Glenn, welcome to the Right Club Podcast. It's so great to see you here and hear you here, I guess I should say. We've also we've had you on a national event, but now we're talking to you by Zoom because a lot of people don't make it to the, the virtual events and we like to reach out to other people who often have time to listen to podcasts. So welcome. Thank you for having me also. Like, no, I'm, it's exciting. Great. And uh, you're exactly right. Like podcasts, you can tune in whenever they want. They don't, they're not obligated to sit no. in at a certain time. Exactly. Exactly. So here we go. You are a big investor in the U.S., right? It depends on what your criteria is. Oh. I buy a lot of houses. I buy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's always bigger, right? There's always well, there's bigger. always bigger. There's always smaller. So let's just go with you know the flow here and say, you know, okay, put a lot of investments in the U.S. Yeah. Yes. I just call you a big investor in the U.S. So why invest in the U.S.? Why do you do it? Why do you choose the U.S. to invest in? Well, there's lots of different reasons to invest in the United States. One of the original ideas was the landlord loss. That was one of the things that really helped me. When I used to do Canadian investing or Ontario investing, I was the landlord. And honestly, my biggest weakness is tenant screening. So I'd end up at the Ontario Landlord Tenant Boards. I'm sure a couple of your listeners have done as well. So honestly, it was one of those things that it was just doing evictions, doing rent raises. A lot of things just were easier, right? So you know, we bought a property in Indianapolis and we could do an eviction in a couple of weeks, take the property back, do our repairs, renovate it and do what we wanted to do with it. Right. Uh, same thing. Whenever someone doesn't pay, we can have them out in a month. Right. So it just certain things, if that's whatever your pain point is, that was one of my big pain points. Another thing that was a big advantage was the price points. During COVID here in Ontario, we saw almost double prices double in a lot of, a lot of areas. My house almost doubled in price. So just having the price points that are, it's almost like investing like 15 years ago, <laughs> the price points. So a little bit cheaper. And when you see cheaper prices, it directly correlates to like your rent to value ratio. So what if people are like, what are you talking about? Say a $100,000 house would rent for $1,000 a month. That would be the 1% rule. And that's the rent to value ratio, right? So you're dealing with like, you know, ratios that are like 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, instead of working at like, you know, a half million dollar house that rents for $2,000 a month, you're talking about, say, a $100,000 property or unit 
that could rent for a thousand or fourteen hundred dollars a month, right? So just the ratios are a little bit nicer. You get paid in US, which you know, even if you're just gonna go buy one property, it's nice because you go on vacation. You know, US funds are always nice. And it's also you kind of get to hedge against the economy. You're gonna be getting money in US, you get money in Canadian for certain things, right? It's just nice to be paid in multiple currencies. You're like, this month I'm gonna live off US because US is doing really high. And other months you're like, well, the US dollar's low, so I'll leave my money in the US and I'll live off the Canadian, right? And just the size of the United States is my last point. Oh no, privacy as well. But the size of the US, they literally are 10 times the size of us. The state of California is larger than Canada. The state of Texas is larger than Canada population-wise. So there is so many markets, which is also one of the disadvantages, but there's so many markets to invest in the United States and the privacy laws aren't there, not like they are in Canada. Meaning if I want to go make an offer on a house, I know what they have their registered mortgage as. I know when they bought it. I have like their, if I wanted to go and find the property across the road, I could see who the owner of the property was. So there's the privacy isn't there, which is, it could go in both directions, but privacy isn't there. So it's easier to find information. It's easier to make more intelligent offers because you know kind of where they are, especially if you're trying to negotiate a creative deal. Are there specific areas in the states that you favor? You know, areas, <laughs> states, region, I don't know, whatever you want to yeah. call it. No, there is. And a lot of people like are going to say, well, is there, can I invest in other markets? There's lots of markets, right? And the all common question I go is people go, why aren't you investing in Texas? Which I'm getting into starting to invest in Texas this summer. But like, it's not that I don't have something against it. It's just that you can only be in so many markets. So where I have planted my feet is Eastern Florida. So like, you know, the Jacksonville's down to Palm Bay or Cape Canaveral down that coast. What do you consider it? Western Ohio, the Dayton's, the Toledo's and the areas in between Kansas City, Missouri, Alabama. So Huntsville, Alabama is where I actually started in the United States. And now I we're starting to invest in Birmingham, which is more central, whereas Birmingham, Huntsville is the north. Uh, and I used to invest a lot in Indianapolis and yeah, so kind of all over the place. So not to really say, but the general rule is the South will have the most appreciation or the coastal areas will have the most appreciation. Uh, Midwest and the central locations will have the most cash flow. And the red states, which were considered Republican, would have the better landlord laws. Right? So depending on like Democrats will more have tenant-friendly laws and Republicans will more have landlord laws. They're more in your favor. A little bit of everything. <laughs> okay. Okay. And do you, just to let our listeners know, do you prefer single-family homes or multis? Both. <laughs> okay. I think that when I started in the U.S. and even in Canada, I was all about the Burr model and on like single-family houses. And honestly, I think if you're going to do any strategy in completeness and nothing else, you're going to, it's going to be tougher, right? Each of them run in different cycles. Each of them, you get paid at different times. And really you want to have, I don't know if anyone's read the books, but like the seven streams of income, right? You want to have your income coming in from different places and ideally different markets, ideally different strategies. So like the single family homes, you might be like, I'll be more inv interested in investing in those in like, you know, central US, right? Because then I can get the cash flow from those, right? Or, and then I'll do the flips more in the South, right? Because I get the appreciation, right? And then I'll do the multis wherever, right? But basically, 
you can't, honestly, the way I look at it is you can't just do one strategy or you can't even do one area. You know, it's just like buying mutual funds. They're always going to tell you to, you know, diversify. And, you know, when you do this kind of investing, like I typically try to buy about a house a week. You don't want to be fully exposed. Like we're also in like, depending on whose definition, we are in a recession right now. So you don't want to be exposed completely in a certain market. You don't want to be exposed in a certain asset class. And it's just, you know, you might end up like at this point, I've never lost on a property. But no well, there, but I yeah. think I'm going to add a caveat to that, especially for people who are just starting out. Don't try to do everything at once, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like really and truly pick one strategy and learn it. Okay. And that makes sense. But, but to your point though, I agree with you. Before we used to say stick stick in one, you know, pick one lane and stay there. The market's changed, as you said. There's a little more uncertainty and all the rest of it. So I think now the at least the prevailing attitude from people I know I've been talking to is yes, learn about one lane and then add another one and then learn about that. So you're not doing everything all at once, but you do learn and then you also learn what works, right? What you like, because that's important too. If you don't like it, then don't do it, right? Great. And to your point too, is yeah, I didn't go like that. Off the start, I was focusing on one market. And you if you just start with like the shotgun blast going everywhere, what's gonna happen is you're not important to any property managers. You only you don't have enough pull with them. You're just that one horse person, right? You don't have enough. If you can be someone who can come in with like even four or five properties slow or even like, or even have a plan to build that with that property manager and contractor, you become more valuable to them. Right. And you know, it is, it's helpful with everything. And also you can then renegotiate your property management fees and you can slowly bring those fees down just by going into one market. So yeah, I think what you said is exactly right. And I might've jumped because I am buying a lot of properties and that's why I'm in so many markets. So I was a great caveat. I think that was a very helpful for a lot of these people listening. Yeah, because we, I think sometimes we forget that, well, well if I don't, you know, our listeners, some of them haven't even bought one yet. So, so yeah. to buy one and buy another, whatever strategy you pay. Yeah. Get comfortable with it. No, two or three or four under your belt. Then pick another strategy. Look around, see what you like, get some training, get some coaching, mentoring, and then do that. And it does make it a little bit easier. There's nothing worse, I think, than getting out into real estate and really not knowing what you're doing. That's when you run into trouble, right? I totally agree. Okay. Okay. So you talked about some of the great reasons to invest in, for Canadians to invest in the U.S., what are some of the reasons why they might not want to invest in the U.S.? Well, with all of it, there's like always every side of coin. There's always, you switch a different market in Canada, you switch everything. There's always a disadvantage and an advantage to everything. One of the big ones is that there's also the sticker shock for lending when they get down to the U.S. When our rates were super low, theirs were more expensive. When as the rates went up, ours are still more expensive. Like it's more expensive in the United States, right? It's just always the same it's always cheaper, at least since I've been investing for like the last eight years, it's always been cheaper to get lending in Canada, right? The hard part too is that first property, you know, it sounds cheaper. Like we talked about the price points are lower, but we're also talking about a different currency. We're talking about USD and USD is also more expensive. So like right now you're paying about $1.35 for an American dollar. So, you know, that's, you know, we really got to be thinking about paying an extra 35%, right? And 
you're also going to expose yourself to, you know, a currency exchanges as it goes. Right. So depending on what your project is, if you wanted to do like a flip and it's like a six month flip, if you need to bring the money back to Canada afterwards, then you're exposed. If it drops down to $1.25, there's 10% that just vanished into the ether. It doesn't exist anymore. Right. Um, and that's one of the things is having money on both sides to make it a little bit, you don't have to rely and you can wait for the good spots to move and take advantage of the market and the dollar when it's at certain spots. The other thing is privacy. I talked about privacy being an advantage. It's also a disadvantage. People can find you, right? If you don't want to be found, you, you like your, you don't want letters in the mail. You don't want the wholesalers. You don't want any of this stuff. People can find you. People, if someone goes and trips in your sidewalk, they can, an attorney can, or even a regular person could look up Oh, this corporation owns this property. This corporation also owns all of these properties, which could make you a target, right? Because it shows that you have, there's more to go after. It's worth it for the attorney to try after, to go after you, right? You're also talking about two, like with all this, two different countries, two different tax returns. You're dealing with the IRS. You're dealing with Canada revenue and you got to appease both. For people who've never dealt with two different countries for taxes, you file with the foreign country first. So you'd file with the IRS first. They give you a summary or your accountant would give you a summary that you give to your Canadian accountant. And that's, you know, there's a form that says, do you have over a hundred thousand dollars in foreign income or something along those lines? And you check that box. They'd enter all the forms. It's not difficult. And in all honesty, you're probably going to get more of the tax burden on the Canadian side, even if the property is in the U.S. Typically, Canada Revenue has not as favorable laws as the IRS. So the IRS will charge you maybe a little bit of tax and more of your tax burden will be treated like the property is still sitting in Canada. But this also can be mediated depending on how you set up your structure. The way I'm talking about right now is if you're buying it in your personal name or an LP or an LLC and it's flowing down to your personal tax return. But if you're doing it in a corporate return, there's different ways to strategize that, to keep that away. So um, what that says is, for heaven's sakes, before you even think about investing in the US, talk to the professionals who can help you, right? lawyers and accountants who have expertise on both sides of the border and can set you up so that you don't get oops, those big surprises and can mitigate as much as possible the consequences of owning property in another country. Yeah. And sometimes that's your own accountant. And sometimes you're going to have to find someone who understands cross-border accounting, right? Sometimes it's the same person. Sometimes as you grow it, sometimes you outgrow accountants, right? Or, or professionals, right? So it could be the same. It could be different. The other disadvantage, which can be overcome, is FERPTA. So there's a foreign income or foreign, and I'm not going to try and guess what all the letters it represent. But what it means is if you buy something in your personal name and then you sell it in your personal name, the IRS is going to require the title company or the attorney selling the property for you to withhold 15% of the prof property, not 15% of the profit, 15% of the sale price. But don't get scared by this. If you file your taxes, you will get your money back. But we're all real estate investors, right? So say you sold your property in March, they withhold 15% of the sale price and say you did it in Florida and it's 15% of, you know, half a million dollars. So it's, you know, a substantial amount of money that they're holding. You know, next year, so a whole year later, you're filing your tax return and then they're going to give you your money in the summer sometime. Honestly, I don't like giving like interest free loans to the IRS because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the, the trick to this is just to, what you're saying, 
buy it right. And, and it's and buy it in an entity, right? And so a C Corp or an LP right, is typically what Canadians want to do. So like just talking to a cross-border attorney or a cross-border accountant to set this up. And if you have a plan, like I want to buy an Airbnb in Florida and that's it, that's the end of my plan. They will structure it different than I want to start a flipping business in Florida, right? They will come up with a different plan. They will use different kinds of structures. If you can tell them, the more information you can give them, the better they can set this up for you to save you as much taxes as possible. So one of the things, Glenn, is I remember hearing somebody say that because there's a few of the states that don't have personal taxes, like they, their tax structure are different. Um, and I believe there's not a lot of them. I think there's only five or six, yeah. but that too is an advantage. A lot of Canadians, I mean, because it's basically across the board in Canada. I mean, everybody has got to pay taxes and it's just dependent on which province or territory that you're in. But in the States that varies widely as well. How does that affect your, your real estate investing strategies or decisions? I'll start off by saying I am not a CPA. So you do consult a professional for this, but of the only course. that really shows up for me is when I flip a property. Because when I flip a property, there I'll be paying the state tax at that point, right? Usually when I'm doing burrs, because you know, you're doing a burr and then you're doing another burr after that burr with the other money, and there's always like write-offs and stuff in it. I really don't really see basically, maybe I'll back up a little bit. Typically, whenever I'm seeing like the state income tax is I only really, I only ever see the bills whenever I'm doing flips. If I'm doing burrs, I don't really see that. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not the accountant professional and that's why I hire accountants, but it does have an advantage to not pay taxes as always, right? But I, yeah, typically if you're doing burrs, you just keep burring, you keep buying and you have the term buy till you die. You just keep doing that and you still continue the write off so you're not really experiencing that that income anyway. I want to go back to what you said about money being more expensive in the States. And I think that though that there's a point there that maybe people might have missed and that's yet that yes, the rates might be higher, but the actual amount that you're having to buy the property for is lower, at least according to what you say. So you've got to do your math, right? Like, I don't know, like yeah. it 7% mortgage. I'm just guessing here. A 7% mortgage of, say, $200,000 is going to be less than 4% of $600,000. I'm just off my head, top of my head, right? Like, I'm just thinking, well, that's the way it works. Yeah. Well, with all of it, like, you're going to run your own, do your own underwriting, right? Or your own deal analysis. And, you know, it's all comes down to, like, does it cash flow, <laughs> right? Like, you know... With anyone investing in either country at this point right now, I wouldn't be buying for those appreciation plays like we could in the last couple of years. Like you should be buying for cash flow. You should be, and look, since you mentioned that, you should be running your, for figuring out your mortgage on a US website. The way they calculate their amortization is slightly different. So if you run it in like, you know, whatever, the, any of the Canadian banks' websites, and then you go to one of the American banks' websites, it will generate a different number. And if you go to all the Canadian banks' websites, it gets the same number. You go to all American ones. I don't know. Something's different. So do write and run it on the right side because you will, you want as accurate as numbers as possible when you're, anytime you're doing this, because you don't want to be surprised with anything. Yeah, you're right. I remember going, I can't remember what I was doing, but I did go to a bank in the States and right, ran the, uh, the numbers and it was like, whoa, there's, there is a difference. They calculate it totally differently. Well, not totally, but yeah. 
significantly enough that th there's a change in the numbers. And like, I don't know why, because it's still like, you know, term amortization, all these same terms, but somehow it spits at a different number. Okay. So what, just what, what mistake do Canadians often make? I mean, we've talked about some of them, but well, I think the biggest one is not talking to a professional and hiring the best professionals you can before you get there or look at, I would say before you buy, before you even look at buying, right? Because that's two different things. Don't wait until you're ready to make an offer before you get yourself set up. Like you really need to know your stuff before yeah. you start the offers. In fact, maybe even the offer process is different in the States. I never bought anything in the States. I don't know. Like those are things you have to know. But you nailed it like right in the head. The biggest mistake that people make is assuming it's the exact same as Canada. Assuming that the process is the same. Assuming they're using two different attorneys or lawyers or in Canada, whereas in the States, it's commonly the same title company or the same attorney that's closing for both sides. There's just lots of slight differences. It's similar, but it's different. Another mistake I see all the time is people buying in their own name, right? And that means that all that income's flowing to you. Maybe you want to set this up in a corporation to, and the corporations are cheap to set up, right? Like typically they're like, most states, it's like 900 bucks. Some states, it's thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars $1,400, but it's all state-specific. But it's not an expensive thing to get going and to protect yourself from liability, protect yourself from FERPTA, paying that tax. The other thing I find is people buying at fair market value, buying off the MLS for, they, they think there's still a bidding war and like, or buying turnkey properties at market value. Like right now, it is a buyer's market. Whether you believe it or not, you should be lowballing, right? <laughs> you should be buying something that's you're going to planning on doing something to force the appreciation or you're buying it right, right? Because the biggest money you're going to make is in your renovations and the way you buy it, right? So force these things, right? Make them happen. You're in a recession. Make sure you're adding value to these things. Like that was all, at least that's what I was all of mine, right? The sad one that I hear all the time, it, it truly like hurts me the most and people should be doing this in Canada, but I think that a lot of people are just, they've heard the podcast and then they just jump right into doing like a renovation in the United States. And the biggest mistake is that people pay too much as a deposit to the contractor. They give, I have literally almost every month, someone calls me up or sends me an email and says, Glenn, contractor just walked away with all my money. And I said, how much did you give them? And the same, it's the same story. Well, the renovation was 25 or 55 or something, right? And I just sent them, wired them $55,000. And nobody, even in Canada, people are motivated by money. Don't give them all the money. They have no motivation to complete the project. Even if they do manage to complete this for you when you make that big mistake, but Seriously, they, you're the, on the back burner. You're the lowest priority. They're going to keep doing the other jobs. They're going to keep making them more money. Right? And you know, they'll do you to fill in their gaps, right? Don't be that person. Treat yourself like a bank. You know, the way a bank would do it was, you know, you have to start off with your own deposit. So you want that as small as possible, right? Maybe 3000 5000 get them going with some materials. And then you want to do it like draws. Hey, what have you completed? Have someone verify the work. Once the work is verified, pay them for what they've completed. Only pay for completed work. The drywall is 60% done. He doesn't get paid until it's 100% done because it's going to protect you. If you try to do construction loans, that's how the bank protects themselves. Do the same thing. Uh, a lot of people also don't realize 
and they just go into the States and I'm going to go do a flip, start a flipping business in Florida. And they haven't done any research on their buyers and they don't realize that it's completely different. The people who are buying your property because your flips are going to have to meet the requirements for FHA, for VA, for Fannie Mae, for Freddie Mac. And it is not the same, right? It is they, you can't sell a property that has any sort of distress in it. They just, it won't pass the inspections. They won't, they're going to force you to do renovations. Sometimes in Florida, if your roof permit is too old because someone has replaced the roof without a permit, guess what? They're not counting that roof and you have to replace that roof again to be able to sell it to Fannie or Freddie, just as an example, right? So you need to understand who your buyers are when you're selling these things, right? And that's a huge thing because people just assume it's like Canada, right? Oh, I don't even have this on my list of things in my head, but I always lost my train. It doesn't matter. But oh, not understanding school zones or crime maps. People don't understand that in some cities, it's block to block are completely different. One could be a ghetto. One could have beautiful homes. You need to pull your comps from the right neighborhoods in the same comparable neighborhoods as yours. You can't move these lines. If you screw this up, you could be stuck with this property. You could be completely upside down because you're just on the wrong side. That house draws to a different school and people won't pay for it. That is associated to a certain crime map. So people aren't going to pay the number you're asking for, but they would if it's on the other side of the road. And there's no way to change that, right? So sometimes you'll get lucky, but sometimes you're going to get stuck. Um, it's really interesting you say that. I remember, oh, years ago, I was doing some consulting down in Washington, D.C. And I think it was a Saturday. I was down there for like a month or something. I was walking along right in the heart of D.C. And all of a sudden, I was just in a nice neighborhood. And all of a sudden, I stopped and I went, uh-oh. Oh, I knew. Like the back, the hair of the back of my neck went up, right? I was, was I just crossed the street and walked maybe halfway down the block. I knew I was in a neighborhood that I had no business in being in. Like, I got out of there fast. And it's that close. Like, people, you're right. People really have to look at those maps to figure out what's going on. But here's another question for you. Sometimes yeah. I was in Kansas City, and then the next day, I was talking to the realtors. Oh, this is what we did. We walked from this pub to this pub, and, you know, we want to see our one house on the way. And uh, he went, you walked through there? Yeah. What time? I don't know, nine o'clock at night. And you're <laughs> live, right? And they're like, yeah. Like, well, there was nobody out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not yeah. The, they have we don't have in we don't have the same level of crime we don't have the same rough neighborhoods here not to the same extent right and that's the other thing. you can get fall in love with the numbers and not understand where it, that house is so that leads me to the next question then you are living in canada yeah how often do you go down to look at your properties so when i do it's more for pleasure and networking than to actually run the properties. For instance, like back in August, I went down to the US. I took a couple of my partners with me and we went to Detroit first and then we went to Toledo and then we went to Dayton. And we met all the contractors, the property managers. We all went out for lunch and everything else. We were all hugging and shaking hands. And the one contractor turned to me, he's like, oh, Glenn, this is great to actually meet you in person. It's been four and a half years we've been working together and it's nice to actually see you. And my partners were floored. They're like, what? And I'm like, well, we've seen each other on Zoom. Like with all of this, we do a weekly meeting. All my Thursday mornings, that's every single week is what we're doing. We're meeting with the contractors and going over everything. The same thing every week. But the thing is, you don't necessarily need to see these. 
You can put all the checks and balances in place so that somebody else is making sure that, you know, like I said, we could be using the drywall example, that the drywall is 100% done before we pay them, right? So it, it doesn't have to be my eyes that go there. It could be anyone, right? And just in like, if you're specific about what you're looking for, it doesn't even have to be like a home inspector or another contractor or anyone really high paid. You just, what I need to be really specific about what I'm looking for. And then they can just go take really specific photos. If I say, you need to go and look at the trim and make sure that every, look at every corner. I want a photo of every corner of trim. And there'll be like 50 of them in the house. I want a photo of every one. And then if there's a, mis- a screw up on one of them, mark where it is, right? So that they fix it. So then now you can get a, another photo of it repaired and then we will pay them, right? So you don't actually have to go there. I went down to Buffalo, what was it two, three weeks ago, but it was to set up bank accounts. I have figured that out. So for a while, we couldn't get bank accounts set up in the United States remotely. We just got that figured out. I have a bank that'll do it now. But before I was traveling down to actually sign in person at Bank of America. So, but now I don't have to do that. So I won't be going to do that anymore. And I, once in a while, maybe once a year, I like to go down to Detroit because that's where my accountant is. And he collects mail for me. So I show up and there's like a box of chocolates from one of the contractors. And, you know, just he's got a pile of stuff. Here's some checks the bank mailed. Like, you know, not like checks that I need to cash. Like here's a check booklets, right? And because America still loves checks. So anyway, just collecting stuff like that, but it doesn't have to happen. And a lot of times, like with him, I just say, hey, can you mail it to me? And he'll be like, I went to FedEx or UPS or wherever, and it's, he cost me $17 and I just send him $17 and he'll mail all the stuff. So in a lot of cases, I don't have to go. During COVID, I didn't go at all. Not once for like two or two and a half years, however long you figure that is, never went to the US once in that time. So Oh, just before we get to the lightning round, because it's coming up right now, how many pro- how many properties, how many doors did you buy during COVID? Do you have off the top of your head? I was still, I was really active during COVID. A lot of people got scared. And honestly, it, it made an advantage. Like, you do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. So they stopped buying. And my contractors are like, oh, we're all, we're sending, we have seven teams in Toledo. Can we send them, like, you have three properties in a renovation. We're sending them all to your properties instead of having one at a time. So I started buying, I don't know, I think during COVID, I probably bought, I don't know, 30 or 40 a year, something like wow. that. Wow. There you go. So it's, that's just. There was advantages. When people say, yeah. were doing it, the contractors were available. Now everyone's back to doing it. And well, everyone's got scared again, but over the summer, everyone was going crazy. And then the contractors, it was tough to get them. And now there's an advantage again, because people are like, is there, is the, is the sky about to fall? And they're available again. So you're a perfect example of, of the same. Go where they ain't. You go where the other people are not. Right? That's it's all about building a team and then just do it. All right. Build team, Super. Build a team, get proof of concept, and then bring investors and do a whole bunch. Oh, that's okay. the magic sauce. All right. That's the great magic sauce. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We're going to do the lightning round questions now, Glenn. Are you ready? I don't know. I hope so. Catherine, you're up. <laughs> this week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one triple eight. M-T-G-T-E-A-M. 
and check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. So Glenn, you have been doing this for a number of years, but looking back, if you can tell your 18-year-old self something, what would it be? Oh, they're telling me to avoid certain girls. And that would have saved me some time. If we're talking investing, I think it's just like get started. It doesn't matter if it's an up or down market. If you're buying at a discount, but that's mostly, I think you're going to probably hear that, that same stuff all over and over again. But like, just get started. Like, it didn't matter. When I was 18 years old, if I bought anything in Canada, the US, Puerto Rico, you know, Japan, it didn't matter. It's all worth more than it is now. It like, it didn't matter what you did. Like with a lot of this, you got to go and then you'll figure out the details after. Just now, don't get the analysis paralysis, just make a step. And if you're too terrified, partner with someone who's already doing it, right? It's still, even if you're giving away half the deal, you will get started and you can learn from them. I absolutely agree. Just do it. Get in there however you can. Okay, next question. What's the one attribute that you would say has made you the most successful? I think I kind of just covered it there. I think it's that whenever I bought my very first property in the United States, I didn't know how lending worked. I didn't know how to refinance it. I understood the numbers, the purchase, that it would cash flow well. I could Google it, what the bank rates were at. And I bought the first one cash and I didn't have all green lights down the road. I had a lot to figure out, but I could make a judgment call that if I couldn't get the financing, I could hold this on my home equity line of credit. It gets a little muddy paying payments back to Canada to pay it off, but I could do it. And so I think a lot of it is managing risk, understanding where your spots are, and then just making a go at it. I can't say like, just put everything on, go to the casino, put everything on red. Understanding where the risks are and then weighing how much of a risk, what is the worst case scenario, what, and then just going for it and then figuring out the rest later. Because if you wait forever, it'll take you forever. True, very true. That's great advice. So what is your favorite resource for real estate investing? Could be anything. Favorite resource? <laughs> This isn't any sort of trade secret. So Facebook is probably the easiest way to find all kinds of deals. I personally, I use REI Pro to analyze my deals. That's where the, one of the apps I used in order to find, you know, who owns the house, where they live, because it could be different than the address that is the address. It lists all the information about them. And then we can do like a, send them a little love letter to see if they want to sell if it's a house next door. <laughs> so I, I use that. PropStream is what a lot of people use as well. Like there's lots of software over there, if that's what you meant. Um, I like Rentometer. If anyone's like going to sign up for these, like just message me first. I think I get 20% off all of them just because I already have a membership or message anyone who has a membership because usually if you have a membership, they'll give you a discount to get other people in. So don't pay full price. No. Good advice. All right. So last question, Glenn, what do you do on a Sunday morning? Right now, I actually have my Sunday mornings are available. But before, like a month ago, was my son's hockey. Oh. My son's hockey, parting kids around, you know, my daughter with soccer, my son with hockey. And, you know, but that's what you, that's what you do the real estate. You free yourself up. So my, when I had worked a nine to five job, that's, I had to work every third weekend. And now, and honestly, it 
put off putting my son into hockey because I was like, I don't know how we're going to do it, right? But now I have the ability to run around and have a flexible schedule and do all these, whatever you need. You can plan around it, right? So Absolutely. That's great. Okay. Where can people reach you? What's the best, what's the best way for them to reach you? Sure. So my website is glensutherland.com with one N, like I'm Glenn, G-L-E-N. I have a coaching program there if you're interested in that. I also have a podcast, Canadian Investing in the U.S., and as well as Advanced Real Estate Investing Talk. If you want to just listen to my thoughts or listen to me talk about other people investing in the United States. All right. That's fair. Thank you so very much. Like you give us lots of tips and tricks and things to think about. And I think the bottom line, though, is like just get your feet wet. Doesn't matter what you do, where you go, just do it, right? Just get your feet wet. All thank right. You. Thank you so very much. Well, thank, thank you, you Glenn. Me. This has been awesome. I could do this every day. I love it. Thanks, guys. Well, Catherine, Glenn really does know his stuff, doesn't he? He just shared so much. And I feel like we could have talked to him for hours and hours and hours and still not pulled everything out of his brain. He's got a lot of experience. I really like the way he said, these are the pros and these are the columns. Because in real estate investing, it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what you do. There are pros and cons to everything. You just have to weigh you know, what they are and can you live with the results, the consequences? Absolutely. He also was talking a lot about some of the privacy laws and the differences between investing and Canadians investing in Canada and Canadians investing in the U.S. And one of the things that really stood out to me was that he was talking about the privacy laws and how the privacy laws in the States are far more open than they are in Canada. But what that does is that enables you to get the information easier in order to make better informed decisions. Right. The flip side to that, of course, is that people can find you easier. So you have to yeah. throw to con, right? You've got to weigh it. So folks, we're really glad that you listened to this episode. Don't forget to go to therightclub.com. There's lots of information there, videos, podcasts, all kinds of stuff for you to dive into and discover. It's free to join. So we really hope to see you on the website. And as always, if you have enjoyed this episode, please rate us on whatever channel you're listening on. Give us a five-star rating because that helps us reach other real estate investors and other people who are interested in this topic. So until then, come grow with us and customize your life. Thanks for listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping all levels of real estate investors advance to the next level and help you customize your life. Be sure to tune in next week at rightclub.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you get a few seconds, please rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps the show get noticed by others like you, and we truly appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe.